Hey everybody, this is Hunter Howard. I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. Here at Encounter Church, our vision is helping people encounter God. And that's what I pray and hope for you today, that you will encounter God through this message. Enjoy. All right, good morning, my people. Okay, I got two. Let's do it again. Good morning, my people. Hey, there we go. Well, hey, it is my privilege to share uh, from the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, we have been in a series, uh, a year-long theme called Christology. And so what is ology? What does the word ology mean? Who remembers? The study of or the reason why. So what we're studying this year is we're going through the whole Bible and we're looking at Jesus woven in and out throughout the entire Bible. And so I want you to say this with me. Jesus is the reason why. Let's say it. Jesus is the reason why. So what are we doing? We are, look, you see in the little search bar? It's so clever what they did. Can, you see what they, uh, that's what we're going for this year. So let's read that together. Finding Jesus from cover to cover. How about you turn to somebody next to you and point at him and say, hey, we're finding Jesus from cover to cover. How about you turn to somebody else next to you and say, hey, we're finding Jesus from cover to cover. That's right. That's right. And we've got a theme scripture. If the media team can throw that up on the screen, we're going to start first in English, okay? Revelation 1.8. How about we read this all together? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Revelation 1.8. All right, let's do that in English one more time. Are you ready? English, one more time. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Revelation 1.8. En español, por favor. Yo soy el alfa y la omega, el principio y el fin, Apocalipsis 1.8. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. Go team. Go team. So let me ask you, do you know how olive oil is produced? Do you know how olive oil is produced? Yeah, I don't. I didn't, let's say. I didn't know how olive oil was produced. I had a vague idea you know, like, like a wine press, how they have a barrel and they just like step on them. You know, I kind of thought, well, maybe that's how they do it. But it's one of those things, who wakes up at three in the morning and goes, I wonder how olive oil is made. Maybe not me. Maybe you are one of those people. I was not. Um, but I began to ruminate on this idea of how is olive oil made when we read something from Leviticus in our Life Journal reading plan. Now, a quick uh, commercial here and a quick shout out, a shameless plug. This Life Journal reading plan, who's been reading through the Life Journal with us? It's a year long Bible plan. It is awesome. This is my personal favorite year long reading plan, the Life Journal. They just so masterfully connect the Old and the New Testament as you read it together. And it paints a picture of how the Bible is one clear narrative, okay? I love the Life Journal. I'm all about it. If you're not on the Life Journal, I would encourage you today, jump in with us. Because there's something about, you know, reading the Bible in discipleship together, where it's like, I'll read one thing, Matt Breeden will read another, uh, the same thing, and we'll come together, and God's saying the exact different things, but they complement each other so beautifully, you know? And so it's like, I'm reading, he's reading, I'm saying, he's saying, and we're both growing even more because we're going through it together. So I would encourage you, get on this life journal uh, through the Bible reading, um, the Bible app, it's so, so good. But we were in Leviticus like a month or two ago, and we read Leviticus 22, 
24, verse 2. And it says, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives. Can you say pure oil of pressed olives for the light to keep the... Oh, you don't have to repeat that, sorry. (laughs) To keep the lamps burning continually. So it was pure of pressed... Let's try it again. Pure pressed... All right, good job. It was pure oil of pressed olives. So then I began to, to research, okay, well, what is this? And maybe you've had this experience where you've, you know God is speaking something to you in a scripture, but you don't know why. Like, I read this, and it stuck in my mind, and it was like sitting in the back of my head for like a month. And I didn't know why. I was thinking about it. I was like, well, maybe it's because of pure oil. Maybe it's a holiness or a consecration thing. And like, that's good, but that wasn't it, you know? And so I was just kind of sitting on this idea. And so then I began to research how olive oil is made. And so our wonderful media team has got some slides prepped for us. And we're going to take a look. So olives are picked from olive trees, okay? And so olive trees, when they're all together, it's an olive grove. Can you say olive grove? So these olive trees are there, and the olives are up in the tree branches, like this, okay? And so if my olives are ready, and I'm going to, you know, harvest my olives, you know, in different places, they have different process, a different way to do it, you know? But most of the time, it's very manual. And so what these people will do is they'll spread out nets under the trees, and they'll go with these grabbers, uh, go back one, sorry, and they'll shake these trees until the olives fall down, and they collect them in this net, put it in their buckets, and they drive it to their local olive you know, production facility. And so you get to this place, and then they put it into this next slide. So in, in older processes, you know, this is what they do. They put the olives in that like barrel thing, and this big rock just pulverizes the olives. It just goes around and around and around. It completely just pulverizes it into like an olive paste. And then they take that paste and they put it into what we see next, this press. You see at the very bottom of the press, there's this, this, these little paste cakes almost. And they, they put these olive paste in there and then it gets pressed down under tremendous pressure. And as the oil comes out of the paste, they collect it and then it gets purified and purified and purified and purified until voila, extra virgin olive oil, okay? And so... As I was reading this, this video I was watching was saying that it takes a tremendous amount of olive trees to produce just one liter of olive oil, okay? So it takes like an olive grove just to get like one, you know, one liter. That's not a lot. And if you think about what we read in Leviticus, you know, the Lord was commanding the Israelites. He was saying, hey, you know, the the, the background to that scripture was, hey, I want you to keep these lamps in the tabernacle burning 24-7, 365, indefinitely, forever, okay? And so think of how much oil had to go into those lamps. And that was one command in Leviticus of hundreds, you know? And so Leviticus, if you've read it or if you're familiar, Leviticus is a book filled with laws, filled with rules, filled with regulations, of how Israel should behave in order to offer sacrifice that's pleasing to God, or in other words, worship that is pleasing to God. And so just one of the hundreds of commands required a very rigorous olive extraction process, okay? So you think about that. If I am the olive guy, 
You know, just that one order alone is gonna keep me busy all year round forever. So, I mean, business model is good. It's sound, all right? I'm stuck there in this process forever, you know? Because it takes so much work. Think of all that. They have to tend to the olive groves, the water and the pruning and the care. And then you have to manually extract the olives, collect the olives, press the olives, or pulverize, then press the olives, then extract the oil, then purify the oil for just a liter. So it was a very rigorous process. It's, this is a costly requirement. Just for the oil, just for the lamps. And so it, it made me wonder, well, why? Why all of this just for the oil? Can't they just go to Quick Trip, you know, go to QT, gas it up, gas lantern, and it's easy, you're set. But, so what is there to gain from this rigorous process, this costly requirement? Well, what Israel had to gain was the presence of God. See, in the Old Testament, Israel was you know, the favored nation throughout all the earth. The Lord chose this one country, this one nation, out of all the nations in history, to, to one, reveal himself, his son, through. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was an Israelite. He revealed his son through this nation. But not only that, you know, he took special care of Israel. They shared an intimacy with him that no other nation on the earth shared. So in light of that, what is some pure olive oil. Oil is a small price to pay for that level of closeness with God. So why does this matter? You know, I've, I've met people throughout the years in ministry that are like, oh, the Old Testament, well, I'm in the New Covenant. The Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. Well, that's Old Covenant. We're in New Covenant. But the Old Covenant is what sets up for the New Covenant. Without the Old Covenant, the New Covenant doesn't make sense why did Jesus have to die? Well, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the old covenant is this beautiful prophetic, you know, foreshadowing to Jesus. The Old Testament is just pointing to Jesus. It's just pointing forward to Jesus. And so as we read the old covenant, you know, there's so much depth to understanding the new covenant when you read. So that's why I encourage you, get in the life journal, shameless plug, get in the life journal because, you know, it connects the dots between old and new. And it adds so much depth. It's when you begin to read numbers and you realize, wow, in the midst of this, this book, Jesus is there. In the midst of Leviticus and laws and sacrifice and this and that, Jesus is there. That's Christology. So this olive, this olive oil is a prophetic picture for us new covenant believers. We are the olives that the Lord is pressing. You know, we are the olives, and, and the oil that is produced from the pressing, it's the anointing oil. It's, it's our lives. The anointing that's on our lives is produced from the pressing. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but, you know, I, if I'm being very honest with you, I found in my life that when things are going good, I, I don't really place as much of a demand on the anointing. What do I mean by that? I don't draw as near to Jesus when life is good as when the opposite. And maybe I'm the only one. And let's, real talk, okay? Let's just get real here. When things are good, and you see it when you minister to people. When we go out to pray to pe for people. Hey, can I pray for you? No, I'm good. Everything's good. Got money, family's fine, everyone's healthy. 
We are not hungry when life is good. It's when we're in the pressure. It's when the pressure of life is pushing down on us that we begin to place a demand on the anointing. And we begin to hunger for God and we're looking for God. And we, we place a demand on the anointing when there is pressure. And so if we are the olives and the anointing is the oil, what is the press that's pressing down on us? What is it that's extracting this oil? Pause for dramatic effect. Just kidding, I was thirsty. The press is obedience. Can you say that? The press is obedience. And Encounter Church, because I love you, I have one point for you today. Just one. People in the back, yeah. I have one point for you today. Okay? Obedience is better than sacrifice. This was a phrase that the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart a few weeks ago. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Can we say that together? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Let me ask you, what is more difficult, obedience or sacrifice? I have found, yeah, I have found consistent obedience to be more pressing than short-term sacrifice. If we're honest. You know, I can, I can, you know, hype myself up enough to fast for three or four days, you know, and then I push through. I'm on the other side. Okay, I can go back to eating all the great food that I love. You know, I can hype myself up for an encounter retreat weekend and push through and, you know, crash on Sunday afternoon, rest on Monday, and I'm getting back to normal on a Tuesday. You know, that short-term sacrifice of something, you know, it, it can be challenging, but I can do that because there is an immediate result and it only lasts for a little while. But what is pressing? It's the short-term plod of day-to-day obedience to the Lord. Daily Bible reading, even when I don't feel like it. Discipleship, even when I'm convicted. Community, even when people hurt my feelings. And this day-to-day plod, it presses us, you know? And, and it's, we can push through sacrifice, but it's the plod because it's the little gains every day that will carry us the distance. Many of us, are, are we, we find ourselves living our lives for that 10%, those 10% big moments, high risk, high reward moments, you know? But it's the 90% of our lives that is the day-to-day plod where we get the gains in the anointing. The pressure is in the 90%. It's the small things. It's the little things. It's daily Bible reading when I don't feel like it. It's waking up early when I don't feel like it. It's church when I don't feel like it. It's discipleship when that person is telling me there's something wrong with my life. Who do they think they are? It's these little things, these daily things, they begin to press us. And what do so many of us do when we feel pressure? Oh, that's not of God. And we step out of obedience and, we, and we're in a place of disobedience and we're trying to offer sacrifices to God that are not pleasing. I have been there. I have been there. Every, every person that follows Jesus has this struggle The inherent human nature is to stay away from pressure. We don't like it. But it's in the pressure that the anointing oil is released. So obedience is better than sacrifice. What is obedience? There's a quick definition if you look it up. Obedience is compliance with an order. 
request or law, or submission to another's authority. You know, I have a, my three-year-old son, Joshua, we have a phrase with, with Joshi. He's strong-willed, headstrong. And, and they would hate me for this, but my, my in-laws are actually here visiting from New Mexico. Give them a hand. Sorry, guys, I know you didn't like that, but... But they've been seeing this, that's the pressure. They've been seeing this firsthand, all right, this week. So with Joshua, we have this phrase. He'll be like running headfirst towards the road and cars are coming. And I'm like, Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. And nothing, nothing. I could, I could just be mute maybe in his mind. He's not hearing anything. But we have a phrase where we tell him, listen and obey. We say, Joshi, I need you to listen and obey, okay? And, you know, if you ask Joshua... Obedience is probably not a word that emotes very positive feelings. If you ask many of us, the word obedience doesn't make me feel the warm and fuzzies. Obedience can be a, kind of a hard word at times because it requires submission to another's authority. How many of us love to submit our will to somebody else? This is America. Don't tell me how to live my life. But obedience is a demand to be a disciple. If I'm not obedient to the Lord, I'm not a disciple. And obedience, let me tell you this, this has hit me this week so much. Obedience requires faith. Because faith says, I believe what God says, what God thinks, and, and you know, what, like, what he thinks more than my circumstance demands. More than what my situation says, more than what my feelings tell me, more than what my besties tell me, more than what TikTok tells me, more than what my school tells me. I trust in God over those things, and so I step in obedience. Like, like the apostle James wrote, you know, in James, he said, show me your faith by your works. The steps of obedience I would warrant in counter church, I would put forward to you that the day-to-day -day plot of obedience is us showing our faith. It's putting our, you know, it's putting our, our what's the phrase? Whatever. It's, it's the proof in the, yeah, it's putting your money where your mouth is. It's easy to say, oh, I obey you, I trust you, I love you, Lord, then stop watching those movies. Oh, did I hear that from the, no, that's not from God, that's the law. No, that's Holy Spirit. It's so easy to say that I obey God until I'm in the pressure of day-to-day -day obedience and only one person has to change, this guy right here. <laughs> obedience requires faith because obedience is trust in the character of God over what I think, feel, and what my situation says. Obedience, let me tell you, I have found most of the times in my life that when God is asking me to obey him, 95% of the time, I don't know why he's asking me to do it. Why? Because if I knew why, it would be a logical decision. No faith is required. If I knew what I was going to get out of that step of obedience, it's, it's, it's logic, it's easy. Well, duh, I'm gonna make that step if I've got this promotion and that money and this kind of stuff coming my way. Obviously, I'm gonna take that step. But it's when I don't understand that I place my, my faith in the character of God. And I say, you know what, God? Because you are good and every perfect thing comes from the Father of lights, because you are good and I know that you want what's best for me, even though I don't feel it, I will step in obedience right now. 
even when I don't feel like tithing, when, you know, when in inflation is on the rise, when there's, you know, there's pressures in every angle on my finances, even though I don't feel it, even though people might be telling me that I don't need to tithe, I know that that's a step of obedience I need to take. So I'm going to tithe. It's faith in the character of God. It's not in our circumstance. It's not in what we see, feel, think, or imagine. Obedience is how we show our faith. So let's take some quick looks at some, at some examples in Scripture. So we're going to talk about two kings today. King Saul and King Jesus. Can you say King Saul? King Jesus. So King Saul was disobedient. And we're going to see the results of his disobedience. King Jesus, obviously, was completely obedient. And we're going to see the results. So we pick up in 1 Samuel 15 with King Saul. And if you're familiar, Saul was the first king of Israel. The Israelites had come into the promised land. They were there. They had prophets, but God was their functional king. God was setting direction. He was ruling them. And the Israelites came to the prophet Samuel. They said, hey, we want a king because we want to be just like all the nations around us. We want to look like the world, so give us a king. And even though it wasn't God's best, because he's a loving father and we know his character, he gave them a king. Saul was the first king. Saul had a good start, all right? Saul started out pretty good, okay? You know, a good 80% starting, you know? He started out good with pretty much the right heart for God. Um, but very quickly, Saul began a downward spiral of disobedience. You know, the first time he disobeyed, um, he was going to fight this army and he got scared and Samuel wasn't there yet to offer sacrifices because Samuel was the only one that could. So Saul said, you know, his people were, were leaving. So Saul said, oh, just give me the sacrifices. Give me the ephod. Let me try to do this. He tried to step into a role that wasn't for him and he got rebuked for it. The next time the Lord came to, uh, to Samuel and said, hey, now it's time to wipe out the nation of the Amalekites. They were a nation that was there when Israel came into the promised land but they had not destroyed them completely. So they were consistently leading them into idolatry, leading them into sin, into disobedience to the Lord. And so the Lord said, okay, it's time. And so Samuel tells Saul, you know, you need to de completely destroy the Amalekites. And so right before this, Saul gets the army together. He says, all right, bet, let's do this. They go out to war, but instead of completely destroying them, he leaves the king of the Amalekites alive and he takes all of their herds and cattle and in an act of disobedience. And so Samuel arrives on the scene, and Samuel's like, Saul, what are you doing? And, Saul, and Saul's like, oh, I'm going to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. And let's look at verse 22. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Encounter church. Caleb, listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Whew, is right. Saul lost the kingship because he refused to submit to the Lord. Because he didn't act in obedience he was rejected as king. Think about that. It could have been through Saul's lineage that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came into the earth. But Saul got passed because of disobedience. So the Lord raised up another king, David. 
who was a man after God's heart. And David, it was through David that Jesus came into the earth. So Saul lost the kingship, even though, think about that, he was going to offer this big worship service to God. He was going to, like, this big, old, this big old conference kind of thing. Everyone there, God's going to get glory, it's going to be awesome. But Samuel says, hey, because you're operating out of a place of disobedience, that does not please the Lord. Obedience in counter church is better than... And it's so crazy that, that he said that rebellion is as witchcraft because we read later that Saul, he had completely abolished witchcraft throughout Israel. He was very radical against witchcraft. You know, he would kill people if they were operating as witches. I mean, he was radical. And so the Lord was saying, Saul, you're as radical about witchcraft, but rebellion is just as bad. Disobedience is just as bad. Saul missed it. But let's look at King Jesus. Jesus, we pick up in Mark 14, where Jesus had just finished the Last Supper. So he's with his disciples. He's like, hey guys, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to die. They're still not getting it. But now they're going to go out to a place called Gethsemane, and they're going to pray. And so we pick up in Mark 14, and he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus was the only person in all of history that was able to offer the sacrifice for our sins because he was the only person in all history that was perfectly obedient to the Father. And you know, it's amazing to think about, as I've been thinking about this, like we see most of the Gospels is filled with, you know, the three years of Jesus' ministry. And Pastor Liz is smiling because I'm about to reference something that she's teaching. But there were 30 years before those three years that we only get a few snapshots. I think this blows my mind, friends. This is crazy. The God of the universe took on flesh, humbled himself to be born as a, as a man. He came into the very world that he breathed life into, and he came. Not only did he come as a baby, he humbled himself under human parents. I have a three-year-old. I, ah. You know, think about that. Jesus was a toddler at some point. But he chose to humble himself under earthly parents. Parents that he breathed life into. Jesus, because he was born a Jew, was raised and trained up in the synagogues. He was instructed in the Torah, in the Old Testament. The word of God was instructed by men on the word of God. Think about the small plods of obedience that Jesus went the pressure that that put on him, the trust, the complete trust he had in Abba, Father. 90% of his life for that 10% of big sacrifice. It's the small moments that carry us over the finish line. And you can see, the, you can see that by the way that Jesus addresses the Father. He says, Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment. It means daddy. Papa, Father, 
It's not thine, Father. You know, it's, it's intimate. It's close. And he's saying, Father, I don't want the cross. Literally, Jesus Christ says, I don't want the cross, but I will be obedient to his will. 90% of obedience carries us. And this obedience, it crushed Jesus. Literally, it crushed the life out of him. But the oil that was produced from his crushing brought salvation to all humanity. Because Jesus was crushed, we now have the opportunity to be called friends of God. Friends, we deserve to be crushed for our sins. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. No one in this room can stand up and say that they are perfectly obedient to God. Only Jesus could do that. And because of his perfect obedience and his sacrifice, now we can be forgiven, born again, and restored into relationship with God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And this is crazy. Gethsemane, where Jesus was praying, was an olive grove. The oil produced from his life wasn't just for him, but it was for the nations. And I felt like this word today was for a couple of different groups of people. I think there are some people in this room that, like me, you've been living in the day-to-day plod of obedience. And it's not glamorous. It's not exciting. It's just life. And you're living in the plot of obedience and the pressure is mounting. And it can be easy to try to sidestep the obedience. But I want to encourage you, friends. I want to encourage you. There is a blessing on the other side of this pressing. There is a blessing on the other side of this pressing. And maybe the pressing for you, maybe you're a a mom or a dad and you're faithfully giving your tithes. And there's inflation and there's pressures on your money. But you are putting your money where your mouth is. You You are acting in obedience to the word of God. And even though there's pressure and you're not seeing the financial breakthrough that you were expecting. Maybe on the other side of this pressing, your children are going to one day look and they say, you know what, my mom, my dad, they truly put their money where their, where their mouth was. They were generous. They were obedient. They were a real disciple that even when things got tough, they pushed through. Maybe on the other side of this sickness, there's going to be oil for you to minister to other people that are stuck in a place of sickness. Maybe on the other side of this uh, relationship issue, there's going to be oil for you to minister to other uh, divorcees, to other people that are, that are broken and hurting. On the other side of this pressing, friends, there is a blessing. If you're in the plot of obedience, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep plotting. Keep going. Keep reading. Keep serving. Keep loving. Keep repenting. Keep obeying. Because on the other side, there is a blessing. On the other side of Jesus' pressing was oil for the nations. Maybe there's a nation on the other side of the pressing you're going through. Maybe the salvation of your coworker is on the other side of the pressing of your job. Maybe the salvation of your children is on the other side. This pressing we go through is not just for us. It produces godliness in us when we go through pressures. It does. It's refining. It's pruning. It hurts. But that's why Hebrews says that God disciplines those that he loves. He prunes us because he loves us. Friend, don't give up. 
or maybe you're like I was for a number of years as a teenager. When I got saved, you know, I, I was living in a place of disobedience. You know, I was in a relationship. The Lord told me to cut it off. I cut it off seven times. I got back together with this girl seven times, okay, because I, I was fighting being obedient to the Lord. I didn't want to give it up. I legit thought I was going to marry that girl. And so I was just like, okay, I, I was trying, I would try to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Like I would come, I would be the loudest one worshiping, shouting and screaming the loudest because I'm like, maybe then God will f- just let me have this thing on the side. But little did I know, it, I didn't understand why. I didn't get it. But I knew the character of God and I knew that I would be stunted until I took that step of obedience. Friends, we cannot grow if we're in a place of disobedience. We cannot grow in maturity if we're in a place of disobedience. God is not going to give you a new thing to obey until we take a step back to the place of disobedience and begin to obey. Some of us are trying to to sidestep the process and we're trying to get in front of something. But God is, he's not like that. He knows what's best from us. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knows that this step of obedience that you take will prepare you for the next step. We have to go back to the place of disobedience. And so I finally went there. I broke off that relationship, damaged my heart, damaged her heart. It was just a mess. And I, I, thought, I was like, I don't get it, but maybe I'm done. Maybe I'm just going to have that gift of celibacy for the rest of my life. You know? But little did I know that Miss Brianna then Bonfantini. Yeah. Yeah. She was on the other side of that pressing. And we had a friendship for years that blossomed into romance. And now I get to spend my life with her, serving Jesus. There is a blessing on the other side of your pressing. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really believe God spoke to you through his word today and is moving in your life. If you'd like more information about Encounter Church or you'd like to give your tithes and offerings, you can visit our website at EncounterChurchAtlanta.org. I'd also like to invite you to share this message on social media. Thanks again.